Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do, episode 103. I just looked that up. I'm James Kay and as always I'm joined by Ryan McGowan. How you doing Ryan? I'm very good, I'm very good. Yeah, how are you? I'm very well, very well thank you. Busy, busy. I think we've both just discussed uh, before we started recording how busy we are and we're both living very busy lives at the minute aren't we? Oh yeah man, we're both really busy. Um, obviously you're you're at university doing, studying a master's degree um, so mm-hmm. you're busy is a hell of a lot different to my busy right now. You're, you're busy actively is in, is bettering you as a person. My busy is just making me depressed. <laughs> I mean, you say that. My, mine's also causing depression just because I'm researching how bad the world is. But there we go. What have you? Is there anything in particular that you've been like, yeah, that's actually quite bad? Oh, yeah. We're looking at like globalization stuff and talking about how it causes poverty around the world and various things like that. It's all It's all fun. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah. makes you a, it's like it's like a, a nice bedtime story for some. Hmm, it is. So, uh, yeah, I go to bed just crying myself to sleep every night. Yeah, it's like the billionaires, they sit there and they go to their butlers. They're like, oh, tell me a bedtime story before I sleep. And he's like, he just puts on the news or he just like opens a newspaper and he says how bad it is in Venezuela because he's cut down loads of trees to make more money. And he's like, oh, thank you. That really helped me relax. <laughs> fuck everyone else <laughs> it's like jeff bezos no oh, help me to relax please butler it's like your your workers get below minimum wage ah thank you <laughs> that would help him sleep at night <laughs> i had the worst dream what someone there was a there was a, a rise of the working class and now i have to pay more money oh oh and now he's only worth 50 billion as opposed to 150 billion Christ. however will he cope Right, just a quick aside, and I hope the listeners will bear with me for this. What's your thoughts and opinions on people being billionaires? Because obviously I have seen of recent lots of people even put a petition out saying there should be no such thing as billionaires. There should, people should not become billionaires. Um, that's that Apparently it's like a, a moral wrong. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, it's a very big discussion. Um, um, do, does, does anyone need to be a billionaire? Probably not. Have they earned the right to be a billionaire? Sometimes yeah, sometimes no. Um, I did see once a statement saying once you reach $999 million, pounds, whatever your currency is, you should just get a certificate saying, well done, you've won capitalism. And then every pound since then <laughs> goes into like education things. I, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. If you asked me this question a few years back, I would have been like, fuck them, no, take all their money. But yeah. now I think it just comes down to me looking at them being like, you have the power to do something good, so do it. If you don't, that's when you become a bad person. I have no problem with you having the money. Just don't be a dickhead about it. Yeah. No, I think I think that's that's I think that's uh, as close to my opinion as 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 you know we'll get. Um. Yeah. I I've no objection to people being billionaires. That you know you some people work hard for their money a lot of the time, and you know. You, you've come from nothing or you've 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 worked your way to the point of now being a billionaire and that's great uh, but you know not that you have to do anything good for everyone else but like say you own a big company um and you're now like the richest person in the world and realistically you're going to continue for the rest of your life to be a very very wealthy person what's the harm in just you know raising wages for your employees it's not gonna yeah, just make hurt sure your pocket. everyone who's 
because no one becomes a billionaire just by running a business by themselves with no one else. So make sure the people that help you be a billionaire are looked after as well, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, just remember, remember those that put you where you are. I think that's a good way. Or, or remember and pay your taxes. Yeah, remember those that continue to put you in where the place position that you're in. Yeah, better the world, better the environment. Mm. Okay, well that was a there short aside. <laughs> oh, capitalism. Mm. Speaking of capitalism, that has nothing to do with the episode we're talking about today. <laughs> so if you remember Ryan's little promo that he did if you didn't you might remember the last week's episode if this is your first episode welcome uh we're going to be talking about bonnie prince charlie who is bonnie prince charlie that's a fantastic question it's all about um the jacobite uprising in scotland and england in the 18th century some of it in the 17th century it's very convoluted <laughs> so yeah but basically if you've seen the series outlander it's that <laughs> and and that's it's the end of the that. episode that's the end of the episode make sure yeah. you get your amazon prime subscription just watch that and uh, we'll see you next unfortunately week. i can't i can't do the nudity that they do on that show if you, if the listeners want i can take my top off and record this shirtless <laughs> just so you have that in your mind there will be some that enjoy that there will be some people that are like the idea of that is good for them yeah just free the nipple <laughs> free the nip yeah <laughs> right let's uh let's uh crack on because i think this is the longest episode i've ever wrote i'm not sure well <laughs> i don't know maybe we'll find out you watch your like half an hour now yeah. so uh you've probably got no idea what's in store so basically the next hour is just gonna be me talking about my trip to scotland which i've probably mentioned uh and then i'm gonna throw a little bit of history just every now and then mm. but genuinely like when i was traveling around scotland is when i f- found well, yeah when i found out about this man everywhere we seemed to go there was like plaques and uh, exhibits on him and the Jacobite uprising. It's a big thing in Scotland. Yeah. And it seems like the way round the coast we were going and the route we were taking, we were follow- following it chronologically. It was really, really fascinating. Oh, that's cool. So, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll crack on. Right, where was I? We've only just fucking started and I've already lost track of my notes. Here we go. So the beef between Scotland and England is pretty well renowned. Uh, if that spikes your interest even more, go check out our episode on William Wallace, yeah. which is the same beef, except he was fighting the English around 400 years before this episode is set. So it's a, a historic rivalry. Yeah, this beef is well matured. Yeah, it, I don't think the beef has really gone away either. Uh, but we'll, we'll get on to... Yeah, it's now in different forms like football and whatnot. Yeah, we'll get onto why the beef kind of calmed down a little bit, and it involves a lot of people dying. <laughs> so I know this episode is called Bonnie Prince Charlie, but Ryan's already sent me the graphics we're going to send out, and he's thankfully titled it Bonnie Prince Charlie and the Jacobite Uprising, which is very good because about half of this episode is about Bonnie Prince Charlie. The first half, which we're about to do now, is the context to how we got to the point where he was born, because if I jumped straight into where he was born, it wouldn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. So we're going to go to a point where he hasn't even been conceived yet. We love context. In fact, we love context. This is a proper historical episode. In fact, we're going to go over a hundred years before he was born. Blimey, that is is some context. (laughs) This is is fucking context. Don't worry. I've, I've condensed it as much as possible. The year is 1603 and Queen Elizabeth, daughter of Henry VIII, has just passed away. Interesting Henry VIII. We've got an episode on him as well. How he 
built up the Church of England, which is relevant to this. History just helps each other out. <laughs> she was constantly beefing with her cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was a Catholic, whilst Elizabeth was a Protestant. That's a big thing to remember. Son of Mary, King James VI of Scotland, became the first monarch of England and Scotland when he became King James I of England as well. This is kind of due to Elizabeth having no children and James was her closest relative. They sort of had a respectful relationship and even though Elizabeth killed his mom, he was like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like family ties back then are, are totally different to how they are now. No, no one gave a shit. Like literally no one cared. Yeah, like I think we mentioned um, in... An, uh, do you know what? I don't even remember which episode. Um, but there was like... You could have a brother, but you could you might never meet him. So, like, you know when we'd watch... Mm. I th- we've definitely discussed it before, and I cannot remember for the life of me which episode it was in, um, where, like, you see it in um, medieval films where they go, oh, hello, brother. And it's like, yeah, because you totally don't know who this dude is. You only know that he's your brother, and that's pretty much it. That's all you know about them. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you look at... I dare not mention it because it's a rabbit hole, but War of the Roses, that was family against family. Like, it's a whole thing. People just wanted power. Yeah. So, the death of Elizabeth marked the end of the Tudor era, by Tudors, and the Stuart era had begun. Uh, for reference, King James is the guy that Guy Fawkes tried to blow up. And, spoiler alert, in November we're going to be releasing an episode on Guy Fawkes, so... Hey. That'll be fun. We'll, we'll come back to this point of history. But the key thing here is Guy Fawkes was a Catholic, and King James was a Protestant. But we'll get into more of the history of that in November, so look forward to that. Right, so now that's set up, we're going to fast forward a little bit, I'll say a little bit, a lot of bit, to 1688. James VII of Scotland, who is James II of England, is on the throne as a Catholic king. Uh, this year he had a son, another James, because they're just not very imaginative with names. <laughs> and this spread fear that a Catholic dynasty was about to begin as the throne would bypass his daughter Mary and her Protestant husband William of Orange, who was Dutch. Oh, yeah. Which I always find it funny that it's William of Orange and the Dutch national team playing orange. Just yeah, that's a thing, isn't it? Because even like the, their king now is still like, an, uh, well, I can't remember what his name is, but it's like something orange or something. Mm, they're all just very orange people. The House of Orange, isn't it? That's where they come from. Maybe. Like I that. don't know. So, James wished that everyone could practice their religion freely, which sounds like a nice idea, oh, yeah. whatever it may be. He attempted to get this decree read out in churches, Church of England churches, and some bishops refused. He attempted to charge the seven bishops with seditious libel, which was seen as a direct attack on the Church of England, and everyone shut themselves because they thought a civil war was going to break out. Protestant noblemen, Protestant, Protestant noblemen, pleaded with William of Orange to claim the throne. On November 5th, 1688, he arrived with an imposing fleet and began what was called the Glorious Revolution. By December of the same year, James and his family had fled to France. William and Mary became king and queen in 1689. So the Stuarts had been ousted to France, is the long and short of it. Mm. However, a group known as the Jacobites, remember the name, greatly opposed this, as they believed only God had the power to instil monarchs and believed the crown should belong to James. James attempted an uprising in Ireland, but was once again defeated by William and his army, and he fled back to France, where he died in 1701. Clans in Scotland became restless, and uprisings began popping up. Tired of it all, and needing his troops elsewhere, 
William offered all clan chiefs £12,000 if they agreed to join him and imposed punishments upon those that did not agree by New Year's Day 1692. The McDonald's of Glencoe, which, on just a little, just a little fucking aside, this is going to keep happening, by the way, as I mentioned places, Glencoe is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Mm. Like, holy fuck. It's just mountains. Skyfall, you know Skyfall, when he goes to the house? Oh, yeah. The James Bond house, and he's looking at that, that's Glencoe. Ah. Also, they filmed a lot of Harry Potter around Glencoe. Really, really that nice. That way, like, Hogwarts bridges. No, no. Um. That's Glenfinnan, which we do reference in a little bit. Ah. Glencoe is where Hagrid's hut was in Prisoner of Azkaban. I've got a picture standing on that spot. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very, very nice place. So, where was I? Ah, yes, they missed the deadline, and an order was put out for the death of anyone under the age of 70, which seems a bit harsh. Yeah. The Duke of Argyle and his men, posing as friends who needed a place to stay, lived with the clan for 12 days, who took them in due to the Highlander Code of Hospitality which I imagine meant if someone needs help in the Highlands, you just help them out. Oh, okay. It sounds very Game of Thronesy, isn't it? Like, you know, the whole, you know, once you're under my roof, you're safe. Yeah, everyone's just helping each other out. Cause it, I, I mean, even now it's an unforgiving environment, but back then it would have been a lot worse. Yeah. Midge's going crazy as well. As the clan lay sleeping one night, the Duke and his men went about massacring them, killing 38 men, including the chief. Right. This would be known as the Glencoe Massacre and would send shockwaves throughout Scotland. However, for a time, it did actually stop uprisings. Wow, that's mad. Do you know what? Uh, uh, that is actually an, uh, it's actually an inspiration for Game of Thrones. I swear that the massacre at Glen- Glencoe, I've heard of that being like something that's... Uh, you know, uh, you, you've watched Game of Thrones, right? Oh, I have, yeah. Yeah, so you know when Walder Frey... Spoilers, everyone. Walder Frey weds his daughter off to rob stark's uncle and then obviously there's the red wedding i think that's like that's similar oh yeah you invite people in as friends and then just yeah i think that's inspired by the the massacre at glencoe i swear i've I've heard that before it sounds very familiar yeah that's so cool i love how like history can influence art and still be relevant today yeah absolutely absolutely so William's sister-in-law, Anne, took the throne in 1702, and this was the queen who unified England and Scotland under one sovereign reign. So before we'd had, like, James the Sixth of Scotland and James I of England, who was the same bloke, just two titles. Yeah. So she was the first person who became just Anne, Queen of Scotland, England. It was also written in 1701 in the Act of Settlement that the crown could only belong to Protestants which, as you can imagine, did not go down very well. This removed all chance of a half-brother James, another James, uh, ever taking the throne. Dying childless, the reign passed to Anne's second cousin George from Hanover. He became George I. This was also around the time where monarchs sort of began losing power to the government led by a prime minister. Uprisings began happening in Scotland, some largely successful as Inverness, Aberdeen and Dundee, became under Jacobite control, though this would all sort of collapse again, and James is and James Anne's half brother nicknamed the Great Pretender, I imagine because he just thought he was king, but technically was in line for it, but he wasn't, it's very muddy. Yeah. Fled to France. Though in seventeen sixteen the Stuarts were forced to leave France due to France and England signing one of the many peace treaties they signed over the course of history, which inevitably will be ripped up again years later. The Pope offered them support, 
and they fled to Rome. James was given a palace in Rome and he established the Jacobite court. Now, to me, getting a palace in Rome sounds like the absolute fucking dream. Yeah. Yeah, you might stop there, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd be like, you know what? I don't want to be king of England. Shithole. Leave me in Rome. Do you know what? They they always say you should never be the king. You want to be the king maker because that's that's the best position to be in because no one's directing all the shit at you. You're the one that gives the shit to the king and you're also untouchable. Like being the kingmaker is the best position. You don't want all that stress of running the country. You just want the benefits that come with it. So if your best mate's with the king, he's going to give you everything that he's got. And you'll be like, hey, king, why don't you sort me out, son? So where I used to work at Warwick Castle, there's literally a attraction called Kingmaker. And it's really bad that I used to work there. And it's something Neville, Robert Neville, maybe. I don't know. He helped someone become king. Yeah. But then the king, oh, I'm going to absolutely butcher this. It all went wrong. And eventually he became an enemy of the king and so on and so forth. So it does have its risks as well. Oh, yeah. but Yeah, it's totally a risk. But like if you sided with the guy and then made him king, you're like, hey, king, I helped you out, remember? And he'll go, yeah, nice one, pal. I'm now the king. And in return, I'm going to give you a nice castle and all the lands and all the income that comes with the land. And you're like, thanks king and then everyone else has a go at the king because they're like oh you're not doing this or you're not doing that or you've warred with france too many times and now we're skinned and you get to join in with that uh and then the king gets ousted and you still got a land and castle and no one really gives a shit about you it's mm. definitely the best place to be i think i think yeah for sure you, you don't want the title i think it's machiavelli was like i think machiavelli is the one that's like you know that you don't want to be the guy you want to be the guy that makes the guy yeah because you get all the benefits and none of the repercussions yeah. It's a place to be. It's a shame history, like, things don't work out like that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right, so we've arrived at the point where we discuss the bloke who the name is on the episode. <laughs> Bonnie Prince Charlie, who I will now hereby refer to as Charles, just because I didn't want to type Bonnie Prince Charlie every time, was born in Rome in 1720 as Charles Edward Stuart, or nickname, nicknamed the Young Pretender. As a lot of episodes tend to go when we talk about monarchs, he was fluent in many languages, including English and Latin. He was very keen on uh, horse riding and was pretty handy with a gun. All right, nice. Just a... Why not? Uh, He was also said to be very handsome and very charming. We'll upload a picture onto our socials of him. Not an actual photograph, but a portrait, and you can... You can make that decision. (laughs) Yeah, he's just a bit weird. Yeah, he's he's very pale. But then being pale was a sign of wealth. There we go. Yeah, it was a thing, wasn't it? So... Charles, naturally, was brought up being told of how his grandfather, James II, had been run out of his own country and how his father had been denied the crown due to his religion. So being educated from that perspective, he grew up with a hunger and desire to do what his father could not and reclaim the crown for the Stuarts. In 1744, he was part of a French fleet poised to invade England during the War of Austrian Succession. However, a storm put a stop to this and ripped apart many of the ships. However, this would not deter young Charles, and his goal of reclaiming the throne remained strong. He arrived in Scotland in 1745 with only a handful of men. He made his way to Glenfinnan, where he unfurled his father's standard. Glenfinnan, if you've seen Harry Potter, you know when Hogwarts Express goes over the bridge? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Glenfinnan. Ah, very nice. And I'm just going to use this as a moment to talk about my trip. We went to Glenfinnan Viaduct, we're having a big Harry Potter day. And we stood there, we're looking at the bridge going, this is nice. And we looked at the train times because the Jacobite train goes over like twice a day, I think. It kind of goes there and back. 
and it said that it was not going to come for the next couple of hours. We thought, ah, oh, we've missed it. And then suddenly it just appeared and it was a very magical moment. Ah, oh, so I like the idea of it suddenly just appearing like magic. Yeah, it was honestly beautiful. And if you look out to the lock, I've complete lock shield. Is it lock shield? I don't know. There's a lock by Glenfinnan. Uh, and that's where they filmed like a lot of the Black Lake stuff, a lot of like the wide shots. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that this Scotland is this untapped beauty that not many people know about. Literally every corner you turn around is just this a new view. Oh, it's just this image of like you know, just Glasgow or Edinburgh and whatnot. And don't get me wrong, both are very nice cities. And but but once you start going a bit more north and you get to the Highlands. Like that's oh the Highlands are stunning, especially on the west coast. Yeah, that's when like Glencoe, and are honestly just sublime. I could not recommend it more. If anyone listening is wanting to go to Scotland, check out like obviously James's route. I think you done what what was it the coast five hundred or something? Was it? Yeah, so we did we did the NC five hundred, which is kind of the northern coastal route, which is our answer to Route sixty six. But we also did uh, the Isle of Skye and a lot of the lowlands as well. So I spent three weeks there, and we did pretty much all of it. Yeah, check it, check it out. Like, go see Scotland if you ever get opportunity. Go and visit and tour tour around Scotland because it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And if you go to like the Isle of Skye, I think my Instagram link is on our. That's what people do Instagram page. I've I literally detailed every day what we were doing, loads of pictures. So go and have a look. Yeah, go check it out. Like in the Isle of Skye, you'll you'll not find bluer water anywhere. Like it's you'd think you're in the Caribbean. It's that clear some of it. We went to a beach by Glenfinnan, actually, where it was like this secret little beach that not many people know about. We only knew about it because my friend who I went with, her brother was stationed there. Was it with the military? Or did he work there? I don't know. Um, and he stumbled upon it and told us about it. And honestly, it was it was Caribbean. And a lot of the beaches around the North Coast 500 are the same, like crystal clear sands, crystal clear water. Yeah. It's just stunning. You get to see dolphins as Ooh. well. Um, seals sometimes make like say hello. There's whales. Oh, isn't it magical? It's honestly, the whole thing is just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But yeah, Glenfinnan is where he unfurled his father's standard. And as we went to the like the Glenfinnan shop, because everywhere's got a tourist centre, we expected it to be full of Harry Potter shit. Which, like, there was a little stand for Harry Potter stuff, but the back room was just a timeline of Bonnie Prince Charlie's life and all of the battles and things. Oh, that's very cool. And that's when the first time I saw, like, oh shit, something happened here. Right. And Joe, who I went with, um, she's a massive Outlander fan, so she was very excited about it all. <laughs> I like that. So that was where I first sort of noticed it, and there's a big monument on the lock uh, referencing it. Like, really cool, really cool. So this is where it started. He managed to unite many of the clans, and once again, the Highlanders were in revolt. After gathering a small army of around 2,400 men, he marched on Edinburgh. He and his men set up at Holyrood House, which, if the name rings a bell, there's a really nice palace there now, and uh, it's where Scottish Parliament is. Uh, yes, it's it's the Queen's Residence, Holyrood uh, Palace, behind it. Yeah, I, I looked it up when I was there. It was the Queen's Residence, but she doesn't go there anymore because she goes to um, Balmoral. Yeah, it's a bit too um, it's a bit too busy around there. If you know, if anyone's ever been around there, it's it's it's, it's, it's very a, touristy. It's very very touristy, and obviously the Scottish Parliament's right opposite. And I suppose what the Queen doesn't really want to see is democracy opposite her windows. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. very nice palace though yeah 
Arthur seats literally like right next to it as well. Aye, she could go Arthur up for lunchtime stroll if she really wanted to. Aye, yeah, yeah. But then, but then there's so many bloody tourists, and obviously every August Edinburgh becomes a cesspit of of tourists and actors. Yeah, because of the fringe. <laughs> yeah. We caught the last day of the fringe, which I'm glad we did. But I'd like to go back and actually experience it. Yeah, yeah. It's but Arthur seat basically, if I'm just going to paint everyone a mental picture of Edinburgh because it's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Arthur seat is sort of like this. I don't want to call it a mountain because it's not really big enough to be a mountain. Just a giant fucking hill in the middle of the city. And it has views of the entire surrounding area. It's so bizarre. It's sort of like how Central Park just looks really out of place in New York. Mm. This hill does as well. It's a fallen volcano is what it is. Yeah. And from up there, you can see everything. You can see the Edinburgh Castle. You can see the Kingdom of Fife over the river. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The views are absolutely stunning. Mm. And the day after we were there, someone got murdered up there, which fun. <laughs> I told you this fact uh, that people have died on it, and you were so surprised. I mean, it's just a, it's a hill. Like, just don't be a dumbass about it. <laughs> yeah, 16 people, well, now 17, have died on Arthur's seat. I imagine, like, th- this person was actually pushed. And I get it, there are points where if you get pushed and you land on your head, you're going to die. But, like... It it it'd be difficult to like fall off of it, and unless you are being a bit of a knob. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- but like Ben Nevis was, I get why people die on that. Yeah, that's big. That's big, and we took the hard route. I'm just gonna suck my own dick for a second. <laughs> so there's two routes at Ben Nevis. There's the tourist route, and then there's the um, is it CMD Arret, which is basically a knife edge, and you have to like scramble over rocks, do a bit of rock climbing, oh. and basically there's like sheer drops either side of you, and like. Fuck it, I thought I was going to die, but honestly, sublime. Highly recommend. Oh, I took the hard route. I did, I did. I'm basically a mountaineer now. <laughs> Everest next. Yeah, I love this. If this was an in-betweeners episode, it'd be a beep-beep-beep time for another Scotland story. <laughs> this is literally why I did this episode. I've waited. It's, it's fucking October. I got back at the start of September. Yeah. I've waited a month for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Where was I? Ah, yes. Holyrood's on the end of the Royal Mile and is the other end of Edinburgh Castle. So to paint a picture for the listeners again, the Royal Mile is basically one long fucking road, which is why it's called the Mile. And it goes from Edinburgh Castle to the Palace. And it's called the Royal Mile because like monarchs and things would just walk up to go from the castle to the palace and all that. Well, not walk, they're going carriages, but you know what I mean. You've been, Ryan, you know what I'm talking about. It's just a long road. Yeah, yeah. It's very long. It's a mile long. Yeah. And it's basically just full of tourist things. Basically, imagine Diagon Alley. It looks very much like Diagon Alley. I would not be surprised if, uh, you know, that was some inspiration for Diagon Alley because it is... Exactly so, Victoria Street was the inspiration for Diagon Alley and Victoria yeah. Street is, you're on the Royal Mile and there's some stairs down and then suddenly you're in, like, Grass Market or Hay Market, I forget which one, and right. that's Diagon Alley. Oh, excellent. I like that. Yeah, it's... it's exactly- there's a picture of that on my Instagram if you're interested. Yeah, so you've got the old town and the new town to Edinburgh. The new town's not so interesting, but old town is just beautiful. It's all blackened from the smoke when it used to be an industrial place. Yeah, I liked the new town because it's just good for shopping, and it was still, like, fancy. It felt very much like London, and the old town is just beautiful. Mm. And also, as we're talking about it, like, we were in the Museum of Edinburgh, and at one point they were like, oh, the North Bridge that connected the new town and the old town. And we were like, where the fuck's the bridge? Well, we've looked all over. We can't find this massive bridge. And it turns out because Edinburgh, they don't knock things down. They just keep building on top of things, mm. which is where the Edinburgh vaults come in. So you're standing on the bridge without knowing you're in the bridge. And there's a city underneath you, yeah, which is now like haunted and stuff. It's a big ghost thing. Very cool. 
very very cool yeah and the castle stands on top of a giant fallen volcano oh it's just it's like a, a mythological place isn't it you, when you when you say things like that, you're like oh it's uh, it's the inspiration for Diagon Alley, and it sits on a volcano, and it's just, oh, you're like, oh, this place must be like from mythology, and it's like, yeah, yeah, this is where a lot of mythology I, comes from. Before I went, everyone who had ever been to Edinburgh said it's the best seat I've ever gone to. You'll love it, and I'm like, how can it be that good? It can't be that good. And then I went, I was like, yeah, okay, it is that good. It's very beautiful. It is, and the castle, like Edinburgh, is a weird shape. You're always walking up a hill, it seems, but it's because the castle was built first. Because what a location to defend, and then the city was just built around it. Yeah, yeah, and it is a, it is the perfect place to defend yourself. And I, I well, does Bonnie Prince Charlie ever use that? Uh, the unfortunately, the government held it. Oh, right, that's a good place to sit. Yeah, yeah, it is because there's literally one way into it, and if you're ever drunk, you just aim for the castle because you can see it wherever you are in the city yeah it's sublime highly recommend edinburgh anyway i've digressed so much four days after arriving in edinburgh in nearby preston pans charles and his men had their first victory against sir john cope's army and they felt like billy big ballers uh translated for our friends across the bond that means they were unstoppable <laughs> or they thought they were unstoppable so, with the newfound confidence and the belief of, holy shit, we could actually do this, in November 1745, Charles and his men, of now around 5,500, crossed the border into England, intending to march on London. The thought process was that English supporters, most likely Catholics who weren't allowed to practice their religion, would rise up and join the cause. Charles also told his men that the French were going to invade from the south and support him. They took Carlisle with relative ease because Carlisle's literally on the borders, basically Scotland. Mm. And then they journeyed down south and eventually arrived at Derby in the Midlands. However, there was a bit of a problem. The support they were anticipating never actually arrived. The English Jacobite sympathisers didn't really come and help and the French just didn't show up. Charles was now sitting in Derby, realising that he had an army of about 30,000 government soldiers to try and defeat without any help. Sheesh. Which you'd be a bit... I'd, I'd, I'd shit myself in that situation. Aye. Yeah, run away, run away. It's not really where you want to be. No, no, Just because the all. French just decided not to bother. Mm. His council wanted an immediate retreat back to Scotland before the government forces could cut off the escape. Charles wasn't really thrilled about it, knowing that a retreat would mean that his cause was, would really take a, a hit. But retreat they did. And as it happened, his men seemed to kind of fade away presumably because they knew they'd pissed off a force that was far superior to them and just wanted to get away from it all. Um, the Jacobites did, however, win another battle in Falkirk, but soon began to lose their way after attempting to take Stirling Castle. If you remember Stirling, it'll go back to our William Wallace episodes where the Battle of Stirling Bridge, where he famously fought off the British. Yeah, and where my family are from. Oh, really? Stirling's the one place I didn't go, so I do need to go. Yeah, it's where my, uh, my family herald from. Well, there we go. Yeah. With uh, the Wallace Monument. Wallace Monument. Yeah, it's pretty. It's very, very nice. And you should go up there and you can see mm. everything. It's very, very pretty. And it's got a... Yeah. um, It's got like a... It's got William Wallace's sword. And I, I say it's got William Wallace's sword in air quotes because it's not actually his sword. It's, it's like, you know... And an what they think to be his sword, which is like, what, seven feet right, okay. tall and it weighs as much as a 10-year-old child and you swing it round, you can knock off like four heads in a row. It's pretty impressive, um, but we don't actually know if he I mean, really That just seems it. very impractical. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I'd like to see it. It's on my to-do list next time I go back. Yeah. So, the Jacobite army had been supplemented by some Irish and French allies, but there was the Royal Navy to contend with, and Nice was patrolling the seas, stopping the supplies, reaching Charles and his men. There was only one thing left to do. Run and hope for forgiveness, or stand your ground and fight to the end. So here we are. We're at a battle where probably a lot of people have heard of the battle. April 16th, 1746, and we're standing on the battlefield of Culloden. I think this is heavily referenced in Outlander, probably. I've never seen it. No, neither have I. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm, just imagine boob. I think I mentioned it last week as well. I, I went to the place that inspired the stones of Outlander and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. I think it's just a very romanticised point of history. But um, don't take history from Outlander. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, if you are interested in the history from watching Outlander, um, you know, go away and do a bit more research. That's what I do. Yeah, because I'm sure it's loosely based around the timeline, but yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll be embellished. Hey, listen, it got my mum into it. Like, my mum is very attuned to her Scottish roots, and when she watched Outlander... Oh, okay. When she watched Outlander, she was like, oh, the Jacobite Uprising. And then it became like a thing of whenever she's in Scotland, she always ends up like finding out a little bit more about, you know, the about Outlander. <laughs> uh, or, mm. or she comes back with like another team, uh, like a, another coaster for her tea <laughs> with Outlander written <laughs> all over it. I do need to watch it. I do need to watch it. I'll get around to it at some point when I can be bothered. All right. Um. So the Battle of Culloden, I went to the battlefield, which... It's really weird, like because you say you're going to a battlefield and you never really know what to expect. It's it's a giant field, but there's now a visitor center there, and the way they've done it is they've tried to regrow it how it would have been on the day. Oh really? And yeah, and and just looking at it, it's not good for battle. We'll get onto that, but it it's just a, a shit place to have a battle. Wow, just like clump, so. Clump we'll we'll get onto all of it. Yeah, it just it was not ideal. Mm. So William, Duke of Cumberland, was leaving, leading the government forces to what would be the final battle of the uprising and see an end to the Jacobite rebellions that had been occurring since Charles's grandfather, King James II, was overthrown. The two sides literally stood facing each other on this horrible, boggy, overgrown land. So basically, at the uh, Clodden battlefield now, there's two paths. There's like paths all around, and but there's two. One with red flags and one with blue flags that signify the government forces and the Jacobite forces. That's cool. And they're literally facing each other, and it's they're about three hundred and fifty meters apart. That's that's. It's just mental to think that like standing on this these sides were just two armies just screaming at each other. Aye, and they would be screaming as well, especially the the the, the Scots. They'd be screaming like trying to intimidate. Oh yeah, and the bagpipes would have been going. Yeah, trying to intimidate the opposition, and and you could like. From that far away, that's not that's not to, it's not that far away. Like people run that in what twenty seconds, like athletes. So yeah. you could you can make out what people look like there. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You could pick out a target. Yeah, that's that's the bit that's like quite visceral about battles back in the day, like in medieval times and, and after and like in this era. Mm. Like you could you can get very close and intimate in these battles yeah meet on the battlefield and just have it out yeah like you're looking at someone and you can identify a lot about them whilst you're putting a sword yeah. through them and it's so like mm-hmm. like war now with like guns that I, I i can be 
like 400 meters yeah, away so from you. Yeah, so removed from it. Yeah, I could be, yeah, so removed. I could be 400 meters from you. And all I have to do is just pull this little trigger and just feel nothing. Whereas beforehand, it'd be uh-huh. people actually pushing metal into another person's torso. They, they knew what it yeah. felt like to kill someone. And not look. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've never killed someone, so I've never pulled a trigger and shot anyone. So obviously, <laughs> there must be some sort of emotional trauma from knowing what you've done. But it, I feel like maybe it's different to actually like push a sword through someone and feel that. Mm. Yeah, the adrenaline must be crazy. Yeah. The Jacobite army was dwindling with an urgent call for reinforcements, which were either too far away or not coming at all. Due to supply shortages, the Jacobite men were on rations of around three biscuits a day. They're also small in number, only around 5,000 men, and they're extremely fatigued. In contrast, the government forces were in really good spirits. They numbered at around 9,000, and their weaponry surpassed that of the prince and his men. In fact, they were so relaxed, on the night before the battle, they were given extra food and drink to celebrate the Duke of Cumberland's birthday. Wow, that's that's a baller move, isn't it? They just, yeah, they was like, this is fine. Charles saw this, however, as a great moment to attack during the night when the government forces would be unaware. However, the environment was so boggy, all they accomplished was tiring themselves out and getting muddy and cold before deciding to turn back. Mate, that's so funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> I like they just, that. They made their situation so much worse. Aye. I just love the idea that they're sitting there and they can hear them like, che- like laughing and cheering and having a drink and a party and they're just like, you know, they're taking a piss over there. <laughs> and they're like, oh, fuck <laughs> it, I'm going now. I'm going now. And they just fucking just grab their shit and go. <laughs> I love the idea of them just getting really pissed off and just going. <laughs> and then uh, they get halfway through and they're like, fucking hell. <laughs> This is a bad idea. Aye, right, and then, you know, like the Homer Simpson gif of him just sort of disappearing back into the bush, just sort of... Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. So, the purpose of Culloden for the Highlanders was to stop the government from taking in Venice, which is a beautiful city. Highly recommend. Mm. It's where Lotness is. Point of reference. Even on the morning of the battle, there was definitely still time for Charles to order a full retreat to Inverness, where they could have gathered supplies and more men and just be in a better position to fight. However, despite the pleas of his officers, Charles demanded that they stand and fight. Clodden was a really bad choice of battlefield, and even me, knowing nothing about what constitutes a good battlefield, could tell you that it was just a bad choice. 320 metres separated the two sides who would have been screaming at each other. The landscape allowed the government forces a clear target of the Jacobites with their artillery. At 1pm, the Jacobites opened fire on the government forces and the battle commenced. And of course, bagpipes had been going, all that kind of stuff. The Highlanders were relentlessly attacked with artillery for just under half an hour and they barely replied. Then there was the call to move forwards. They charged through the horrible terrain, which let me tell you is horrible terrain, like overgrown weeds, stinging nettles. Uh, On the day it was pissing it down, it would have been muddy and cold, like... You know, when you have to run through mud and it just zaps all your energy? Yeah. That. They charged through the horrible terrain, through the smoke, boggy mud with the rain. And I wish I could tell you there was some sort of romantic end to this story where the underdog rose up and defeated the government forces. But unfortunately, life rarely works like that. And it was a complete annihilation. The battle lasted for just under an hour and would be the last ever pitched battle on British soil. Pitched battle meaning two sides one-on-one like come to a field and just fuck each other up damn that around 1300 men were killed 
1,250 of them Jacobites. Jesus, that's... Which is... 50 government men were killed. Wow. It's, it's just nothing. No, no. Uh, other Highlanders were captured, the ones that were like good soldiers that they knew that... Because back in those times, if you captured a good soldier of high standing, you can then demand a ransom for them back. So it was business. Mm. Um, and a lot of them ran away. Oh, the I Jacobite would. army had been obliterated. Yeah, do you know what you'd be better off doing... And you know we, we were mentioning last week when we were talking about um, the Wild West, how like uh, if you look at other countries, like th- what's happening at that point? Like we were talking about Jack the Ripper running around when Wyatt Earp sort of kicking about. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You could at this point just like get get to Glasgow or something, get on a ship, and then go off to the Caribbean and become a pirate. I mean, yeah, that's very. Definitely. Oh, and you'd be like, why am I stood here having a go for some lad who wasn't even born in Scotland, he's born in Rome, when I could be living it large in mm-hmm. the Caribbean, like getting rich off some English merchants? That's, ah, yeah. yeah, I like that. I like the idea that there's pirates going off in Caribbean whilst this is happening. Uh, yeah, we get off, we, we get off, we got onto a lot of where a lot of them fled a little later on. Uh, quick, qu- I have a quick question. I, I'm not sure if you obviously know the answer. Um, uh, do we mm-hmm. have any uh, knowledge as to why... Uh, the jocks started to refer to Charles as Bonnie, Prince Charlie. Or is that like a later uh, thing? What does... You see, I don't know, but obviously Bonnie, I think, is a term of endearment in Scotland because you've got uh, like the term Bonnie lasses. Uh, so a Bonnie is a slang word for like beautiful or good looking, pretty, that kind of thing. Like a, a, it's a good thing. So yeah, a, bo- a Bonnie lass is a, is a good looking girl. Oops. So a quick Google from history.co.uk has told me he was named this due to his boyish looks and alleged charm. Ah, so yeah, because being he, he's quite good-looking lad, so they call him Bonnie Prince Charlie. Mm. That makes sense. Well, there we go, yeah. handsome chap. Good-looking lad. Absolutely. And the good-looking lad watched the Battle of Culloden unfold from a very safe distance. Of course he did. So naturally, he saw it all go to shit. And when it went to shit, he thought, "Well, I'm not hanging around," and he got out of there sharpish. Mate. The Highlanders refer to Duke of Cumberland as Butcher Cumberland as he gave the order for all escaping Highlanders to be hunted down and killed. Charles was pursued across the Highlands for five months with Highlanders helping to shelter him despite the £30,000 ransom on his head. Wow, that's... uh... Charles was particularly... It's a lot of fucking money. Even nowadays, £30,000 is a lot of money, but back then that is a large quantity of money. But I think it's so nice how the Highlanders still backed him. Like, they weren't, obviously, the cause was over, but they still sheltered him and helped him escape. Yeah, but I'll be honest with you. I I am struggling to understand why they are so loyal to him. They think he's the rightful king. Uh, uh, Okay. I I, I think, obviously, because you and I are not monarchists in any way, shape or form. So I, I, I struggle to understand... Uh, this feeling of loyalty to a person uh, based on some mythological story that says... I think it's because... I imagine they'd been under English oppression for a very long time and he was the symbol of fight back against that. Yeah, I get... Yeah, I suppose, suppose. And if he fell, then it really is all over. Yeah, he should have just stayed in Rome. (laughs) I mean, would have been better for him, for sure. Yeah. But then we wouldn't have got Outlander, so swings and roundabouts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Charles was particularly helped by a woman named Flora MacDonald. She had him dressed up as one of her maids and they escaped to Isle of Skye, which we mentioned earlier, and later Charles was able to get to France. Flora would later immigrate to North Carolina, which was still a British colony at the time. However, after her husband was captured for being part of the British Army during the American Revolutionary War, she fled back to Scotland where she'd spend the remainder of her life. So that's a nice little this was happening at the same time sort of thing. Yeah, I like that. uh, We mentioned North Carolina. Blackbeard Blackbeard died in North Carolina. Yeah, it's all happening at the same time. Isn't it mad? The world is never boring. So much shit goes on. So much stuff goes on. It's all interlinked, isn't it? And the more I I find, the more this podcast continues, we're going to end up just having like this timeline of episodes where it's just like, yeah, this links to this and that, and you know, you know the uh, the the meme of uh, uh, Charlie Day. Uh, from uh, Always Sunny, just like look at this wall. Yeah, of just, yeah, where he's got a cigarette in his hand. Yeah, everything yeah. connects. That's going to be like some some of our listeners soon, just being like, oh my god, it all everything connects. Everything really does connect. Domino effects in history are so good. It's just like the American Revolutionary War, which we just referenced. The French basically won that for the um, revolutionaries, and then as doing so, they thought, wait a minute, this is good. We should have our own revolution, and then the French Revolution kicks yeah. off. Yeah, and then obviously Napoleon comes about through that, and just just yeah, and then Britain gets involved against Napoleon. Like, there's so many things that just trigger different it things, is, isn't it? It's fascinating because like, you look at all these things in isolation, you just go, oh, like Napoleon, and you're like, and then like someone will say, oh, the American Revolution, and you're like, yeah, but without the American Revolution, you wouldn't have Napoleon, arguably. So yeah, it's mad that you, you kind of you almost have to like like you mentioned with context, go back a really long time to like really get into some of the stuff you want to look into. Yeah, for sure. I went back a little bit on this one, but you could have gone back to Henry VIII, which luckily we've done an episode on setting up doing... I mean, Henry VIII is the cause for a lot of shit in this country against Protestants and Catholics. Like, it was his fault. Even though... And he was never a Protestant. He was a Catholic, even though... Yeah, exactly. And and arguably, uh, we're talking about domino effect, without Henry VIII, you wouldn't have Guy Fawkes. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Oh, it's so good. It's... And Lady Jane Grey. When was she? The oh, I don't know. I think I've said her name for no reason. She was the nine day queen. I don't know where she fits in. She was there somewhere. She's a, she was around. She happened. I think she might have been fifty. No, I don't fucking know. So Charles would then spend a large portion of his life travelling around Europe trying desperately to reignite his cause. However, no one really gave a shit, and even portions of Scotland were profiting due to being able to tap into the wealth of trade that being under English rule allowed. Because at this point, Britain was the hub, basically the hub of the world. The trade just yeah. went through Britain. So they were profiting, and they thought, well, this is, this is okay, like, we're doing well. So generally, there was quite a peaceful consensus. Charles became a drunk, and his friends would oust him as he became a bitter old man, which, to be fair... I would as well. He returned to Rome, and even the Catholic Church refused to acknowledge his claim to the throne. So his fight was completely over, whether he liked it or not. But, but this is this is the bit like I was saying. This is the bit that's bizarre, isn't it? It's that people got so up in arms because they were like, "Oh, but this is God's anointed king. This guy is the rightful king." But then when it got to the point where it was like, "Oh, actually, we're making a bit of money from this English lot. It makes sense." Even then, mm. even the Catholic Church at that point, who if anything should continuously be saying, "No, this guy's appointed by God." Even they went, "Ah, just forget about it, mate." <laughs> yeah, it's over. And you're like, "Oh, okay." Because I think 
I think I read a statistic. Even uh, just being Jacobite doesn't mean you're Catholic. So I think at this point, five percent of Scotland were Catholics. Oh really? Mm. I was. Uh, um, it was a high percentage of Scots that were Catholic. That's why we get like the. Um, or was it five percent of England? I don't I'm know. Not sure, but um, either way, the the Catholic numbers were dwindling, and Jacob a lot of Jacobites were Protestant. How bizarre! Yeah. I think maybe. I think maybe they're they're just jumped on the back of having a go at the English. Any excuse to fight the English, they were like, "Oh yeah, I'm up for it." I mean, it's it's Scottish independence, isn't it? But then saying that, I made that mistake around Culloden, and I overheard a tour guide. She was like, it, "It's really important to remember that the Battle of Culloden was not the English versus the Scottish. It was the government versus the Jacobites." Oh. So there were some Scottish troops in the government forces. Oh, that would make sense. Just as there would have been English Jacobite yeah. soldiers. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, it wasn't an England versus Scotland war. Yeah, because was... if like you, you said about um, yeah, uh, the the border towns between England and Scotland, I'm sure some of them would have been up for yeah, Bonnie Prince Charlie, even though they'd technically be under English rule. And yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, people just had different allegiances. So, yeah, it's important to remember this one. William Wallace was England versus Scotland. This one's not England versus Scotland, even though by and large. It was England versus Scotland, but it's confusing. Who knew? The politics were so confusing. Yeah, we just appointed a prime minister, which ugh, fucking, again, domino effect. Now we've got fucking floppy head dickhead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If only Bonnie Prince Charlie had won. We wouldn't be in this mess r- r- right now. <sighs> so, this also spelt a very nasty end for the clans of Scotland. A clan, basically, you've probably heard of it, Ryan, I know that you'll know about this, but for the listeners, is a kinship group, and different family names belong to different clans. They'll all have their own tartan, have their own chief, and they're very proud of it. The government, however, saw clans as a threat, and they could still have allegiances to the Stuarts. Therefore, bagpipe music was completely banned, along with the wearing of tartan, colours, and kilts, which you're just stripping people of their identities. Uh, yeah, Some clans were entirely wiped out at the Battle of Culloden, and the graves with the names can be visited today. There's a, a, a path you can go down, and there's loads of like headstones with clan names on them, Yeah, which is quite sad. Uh, those that remained were forbidden by law to live the life their ancestors had been living for hundreds of years. The Highland Clearances meant a lot of the land lived on by the clans was claimed by the government and given to outsiders to grow cops and crops and raise animals. So not only was the way of life destroyed, but their homes were also taken. This caused mass immigration from the area. Some stayed in Britain and found work in South Scotland and England. Some moved to Ireland and others ventured further afield to Australia, Canada and North America. Mm. Which is why in America you'll find a lot of people with Scottish lineage mo- more than likely... It's because Scotland, they couldn't live there anymore. Yeah, so I've got a, a Scottish and Irish uh, heritage. But I, obviously, I don't know whether it comes from this particular time period or not. I know, I think mine's the other way around. I think a lot of, uh, I have a lot of Irish that then went to Scotland and then married into Scottish lot. Mm. Um, aye. Yeah, it, it, it's very sad. So if you do have Scottish lineage in the Americas, what have you, the chances are. It might you might your ancestors might have immigrated due to the Highland clearances. Yeah. The Highland clans were completely gone for a while at least. Luckily nowadays it's no longer illegal to wear tartan colours or celebrate your clans. So chiefs 
are around and people are extremely proud of their clans. They're not what they used to be, but people still have like clan meetings and meals and all that kind of stuff. They still like celebrate the culture of it all, which is nice. And kilts are great. I think they look really great. Yeah, my them. my um family come from a well, I, I'm not sure necessarily if this is true, but this is what I was once told. Um that my family name being McGowan uh, is a very very old name in Scotland. Um, it's like a, I think it goes back to like Roman times or something. Being like a worker, oh, wow. and it was like um, Mac MacGabin or something like that, which is like an old Scottish word for being like metal worker. Mm. Um, and it I think belongs to like a, a, a clan called like the Gun Clan Gun, and their their tartan right. is a. a, a a dark green and really dark navy blue. Um, mm. It's not. It's 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 a pretty cool looking tartan, and it obviously comes from the Highlands, uh, being that particular. Color. Um, but yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently, it comes from Gun Clan. If anyone else knows their Scottish clans a lot more than I do, and I'm totally talking out my ass, get in contact with us and tell me what my family clan is, because yeah. But uh, as far as I'm aware, McGowan is like a lesser family in the in the clan so we're not big dogs yeah when i was in inverness we went past a tartan shop and there was a big list of like family surnames and what clans they belong to and i found my surname weirdly and i think it was the davidson really? clan yeah but then i got back and recently i was in london and i went to the science museum and there they have like a where are you geographically located sort of thing and i thought this was the case so my surname is k and there is a scottish like the uh, descendancy of the name and a North England descendancy of the name. And they're two very separate. And I come from the English one, not the Scottish one. Ah, uh, see, yeah, I like that. I like yeah, that. So, yeah, I thought for a second I might have been Scottish, but no, still here. <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud of my Scottish roots. Yeah, I wish I was. I just want a passport when they get independence, but uh, yeah. I'll deal with. I'll, mar- I'll marry well. Fort George was created under the name of King George in order to stop any uprisings that might happen. I'd highly recommend visiting this if you are in the area of Inverness. Um, the architecture's mad how they built it to stop invasions. And also it's on the coast where you can go dolphin watching. So who doesn't love that? And just like most of Scotland, the views are amazing. Mm. However, an uprising never took place and Fort George became a military base that's still used today. So when I went, there were still soldiers knocking around, barracks and stuff. Um, the Scottish and English army sort of moulded into one, and nowadays kilts are allowed to be worn in the military. Fort George is also really close to Cawdor Castle, if anyone's interested, and that's where Shakespeare-based Macbeth. Ah, oh, very good. Yeah. So on the day, on that day, I did Battle of Culloden, some outlander shit, Fort George and Cawdor Castle. They're all really close together. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So what happened to Charles? He passed away in Rome on July 1st, 1788. Legends were written about him and his story became highly romanticised and ballads were written. And even today, he's still a Scottish hero. So I hope everyone managed to like keep up with everything that just happened. If you do have any questions, just let me know. Um, but the one thing I do want to close on is that all the way around Scotland, it was very clear to me how proud the Scottish are mm. of their history. And they had war memorials literally everywhere, like on the side of the road, just everywhere. They like really don't shy away from the past and do everything they can to remember those who fought for Scotland, whether it was from the time of William Wallace or Scottish soldiers that yeah. died in Afghanistan 15 years ago. Um, 
Also, if we'd have any Scottish listeners, I was blown away by the hospitality of Scottish people. We didn't once meet anyone that wasn't nice, even in Glasgow. So, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I just fell in love with Scotland, I guess. So whether you want independence or not, I, like literally doesn't matter to me. Just uh, allow me to come back well, whenever uh, I want. I will be getting a Scottish passport if and when Scotland chooses to be independent, just because I can. And I will let you in. And you can be in the EU. <laughs> uh, eventually, yeah, in the next 10 years or something, whenever, because the EU is a bitch to get into now. Um, but uh, mm. you mentioned about uh, Scots being part of their history and whatnot. And I think it, it must stem from just this brutalization from the english about obliterating their heritage and their their way of life and oh and yeah we did absolutely everything we could to get rid of it yeah and so like in in a in a way of sort of like trying to if you can't beat them at least you can remember your heroes and your history you know and keep that and you can keep the oral tradition yeah. alive and tell those fantastic stories about fantastic scots and and whatnot uh, i think it must come from there doesn't it and maybe that's where their pride comes from mm. but i completely understand some of the animosity that some scots have towards the english because it must have been passed down through generations of the english just don't want us to have our own way of life and yeah it's completely and obviously reasonable. Uh, it, it's tempered m- more over the years but only through sheer like uh what's the word just being in and around it like it's hard to explain i think from my end like you can be pissed off with someone and then the more they hang around you you just like oh it's not worth arguing about no more and you just get tired of it and you just roll with it and i think maybe that's it they've just been part of like this united kingdom for so bloody long that they just sort of accept it now and a lot of scots do they're like well no i don't want independence i like being part of the united kingdom or whatnot and yet I can still understand why a lot of Scots will say, well, I've had a choice, mm. so, you know, I'd like to be independent and have my own country that I'm proud of, which, no, yeah. arguably you do. Arguably you do, and you have a devolved government by which you can dictate a lot of what you want to do. However, there are a lot of things you can't do, and I can understand why you would want a sovereign nation that could decide its own future, not based on English people down south. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. I remember we met, someone in a in a bar in Inverness and my friend was wearing I don't know, it was like some green checkered top or something that looked a bit like tartan and he really liked it and started talking about clan colours and all this kind of stuff. And then we went to when we went to Fort George we met he must have been an old military guy, part of uh, a specific battalion that has their own museum. And she mentioned it to him and he just turned around and went, It's absolute fucking bollocks. I hate unionists. Really? I was like, Wow. Wow. Yeah. You worry about that, though, obviously, the troubles in Northern Ireland, because they were like, well, do you want independence or not, Ireland? And most of it went, yeah. And then the other half, mm. like the, the Northern Ireland bit went, no. <laughs> and then there were lots that lived in it were mm-hmm. like, yes, I would like it. And they're like, too late. We as now Northern Ireland, we've decided to stay with England. And then the rest that lived in it were like, nah, that's, that's bullshit. <laughs> and then you got the troubles and you worry about that being with Scotland. If they have another referendum and they go, you know what? We want independence. We're out. There'd be a lot of Scots living in Scotland that go, I don't want this. And then what would happen? Does some of them get militant and active mm-hmm. and become, you know, terrorists in a way? And you get basically the troubles happen in Scotland. Does that happen? It's, it's, it's a big can of worms. And this is what you get when, you know, uh, we've immolated a country for so bloody long that it almost uh, half of its identity is now tied with us. And if you just get rid of that, that's almost like losing a mm-hmm. part of yourself. And obviously, I. 
I speak as, as as a hybrid. I'm I'm a mixture of the two. So you know, without that uh, uh, overthrowing of a country, I suppose, or you know whatnot, um, I'm I possibly would not exist. Yeah, potentially. It's uh, who knows. Yeah, I mean, my 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 grandmother may never have come down to England. Uh, if if they were just two separate countries that just that shared a border rather than being a country together in which you can freely travel between two, I hope it stays that way. I really do, for a purely selfish reason. Of I just want to go back whenever I can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But there we go. That's sort of Bonnie Prince Charlie and the Jacobite uprising abridged. If you want to learn more, as always, feel free to send in questions. Or uh, there's loads of cool documentaries and things. Uh, I highly recommend. Travelling Scotland, doing Glenfinnan, Clodden Battlefield and everything in between. It is a mm. beautiful country with a lot yeah. to offer. And also, last night, really weird, I had a dream about the Loch Ness Monster. I had a dream that I saw it and it just turned out to be a giant alligator. Excellent, excellent. That Would you like dream. to talk about the uh, Loch Ness Monster for a second? Because obviously there'll never be an oppo- opportunity for us to do an episode on the Loch Ness Monster. Mm-hmm. However, you did go to the Loch Ness and you did hear about some stories as to like maybe what Loch Ness Monster is and so, was. So yeah, we the Loch Ness, first of all, went to Loch Ness Gin. Highly recommend, best gin in the world. Won't get into that. We went to uh, the Loch Ness Monster center like information center whatever we paid like 14 quid or whatever the fuck it was to go in expecting it to be like a really interactive nessie sort of like this is fun thing it just turned out to be like a half an hour tour telling you in excruciating detail why the Loch Ness monster doesn't exist and (laughs) i just came out feeling really really sad because they just showed us like sonar and all the experiments they'd done it was like one they've invested a lot of money into this legend like calm down a bit and also, just let us enjoy the fucking fact that there might be a monster in this lock. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose there's an element of uh, our need to understand things just ruining a lot of the magic for some people, you know? For sure. But We know it doesn't. I, I, we, we know it's not there. You're like, I know it's not there, but... I've been selling towels, like tea towels here for your kitchen for the last 15 years and now no one's going to bloody come because you told them it's not there. <laughs> I forget what the fact I heard was. Oh, yeah, well, I, might, I think it was Loch Ness is so vast it has more water than the rest of UK combined. Oh. Or is it just England combined? I've no idea. It's a lot, a lot of, water. of water. It's very deep. Yeah, it's the, it's the second deepest loch. The, third deep, the first deepest is Loch Maraw, which is like 300 and something... Yeah. Feet, but then, you know, maybe deeper. I get I it. Like, know. what would it eat, and where would it go, and why is it still alive now? Surely it'd die at some point. So there's a, there's a type of di- the the standard Nessie image is a type of dinosaur that was pre Ice Age, so it would have had to survive the freezing of the lock and also it, it, it's it's not possible, but let us dream. And also, we met um a guy on the shore of Loch Ness. If you've seen Jack Whitehall travels with my father, the latest series, he went out on mm. the boat with him. He's got the world record for longest monster hunt of all time. Uh, we met him on the shore and we, we had a chat with him. And basically he's got a little camper van thing that he sell. He like carves Nessie and sells wow. it. And that's how he lives. Um, he stayed there for 35 years and he is convinced that there's something there. But he's never seen it in 35 years. Yeah, he's seen like a little some what he thinks might be it. But no, I think he's just using it as an excuse to live by the lock, to be honest with you. But yeah. We found him asleep on the beach at the end of the day. Like, oh, there's not much hunting going on. Aye. 
Uh, I, yeah, it, it's bizarre. I mean, uh, the myth is lovely and it's nice. And it, go in there just to look at it and go, oh, it'd be nice if you see something. Like, it's beautiful. You'd still Highly go. recommend it. It's not yeah. the lock. If, you, if you had to do one lock in Scotland, though, do Loch Lomond. Yeah, I heard Loch Lomond is very nice. That is the best one. We camped on the shores of it and I've never had an emotional reaction to a environment before but oh christ that was just stunning oh that's amazing oh i love that there we go that's scotland for you i could talk about it for hours but i won't because we're on an hour five and i'm sure the good listeners have lives to lead <laughs> yeah um yeah all right well thank you very much for that man thank you to the listeners uh i hope you've enjoyed this uh love letter to scotland in an episode basically from james there um mm-hmm what have I got to say? Uh, I've got a couple of things to say. Uh, thank you. Uh, we've had a few more people get in touch with, uh, very recently uh, with more episode recommendations. We're getting to the point now where uh, I've more recommendations that I can come up myself. So soon it'll get to a point where I don't even need to think of episodes. I'm just going to go through the list that you guys send us and that'll be easier. It makes it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so keep. Because sometimes I'm sitting there like, now what? Yeah, I'm like, I'll just look at some of the options that people have given us. Uh, so keep them coming uh, and, and keep getting in contact with us. We've had quite a few uh, really nice messages from people just saying how much you guys enjoy the show. And it's been so good to hear from you because it's like, what, we've been doing this two years now and we're finally starting to hear from you all now. It's like you've stopped being shy and you're like, do you know what? I'll send those guys a message. Uh, we really appreciate it, man. It makes my day just seeing you guys email us, drop us a message on Instagram, yeah, drop us it on sure. Facebook, whatever. It's, it means so much to hear from you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, check out the merch store. Like, you know, pick up a t-shirt, uh, pick up a jumper. Uh, if not, we've got mugs. Um, you know, we've got Christmas coming up real soon. So um, uh, I might even make a festive one just for Christmas. I don't know. It might be limited or whatever i'm not sure i'll have a look um but yeah it's a great christmas present for your loved ones we have a t-shirt that says thanks for existing uh which we used to say like on some of the good episodes with like some really good people and you're like do you know what i'm so glad that person existed so maybe you could buy that shirt for like your loved one and so you know what thanks for existing i like you uh so consider that uh, also consider supporting the show on our ko-fi page where you can donate to us uh just you know as little as a quid if you really fancy it because uh, it all goes to help out the show in fact um because of your lovely donations uh this show now the next year has paid off its uh, distributor, so the uh, company that we use to get the episode out to you guys, so whatever platform you're listening to is on, uh, that has to go through a distributor to do so, uh, and the podcast has now basically paid for itself, thanks to your lovely donations, so without you guys, it, yeah, it, it's now... Has it yeah, really? This... It's amazing, two years on now, That's and great. it's basically paid for itself for the first time ever. Um, and I, honestly, it's overwhelming. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone uh, who has contributed to that. You basically now have kept us alive. Um, without you, this show would possibly not exist. So thank you very much. Um, and finally, um, a I, I know I know that James and I can be a bit like you know lackadaisical with dates and getting out episodes so um I, I again another thank you for just bearing with us um but what i am going to ask for is your patience um rather than just you know trying to get an episode out next week and not delivering um i've decided that next week's episode is not going to come out and come out a week afterwards uh, basically it's going to be a two-parter uh it's gonna fall on the week before and on the week of halloween 
this is our Halloween scary fucking dark episode. Now, I've written mm. some dark episodes before, and I told James that this is going to be potentially, in fact, is going to be the darkest episode I've ever written, and will potentially be the darkest episode I will ever write. Um, yeah. Um, in fact, I'm I'm that considering really having you read out quotes and stuff for next episode because I just I think it'd be funny to hear you read it. Uh, oh, some good. of the stuff that is happening so anyway uh, basically we're taking next week off because the episode i'm going to write is so big and it's so heavy that i need more time to do it um for those obviously interested it was, we are going to be talking about albert fish uh for those that like their true crime you will know already who this guy is and you'll know why i need more time to write it um so yeah we're talking about albert fish next episode which will not come out next week it will be the week after and it will be a two-parter so look forward to that uh, just in time for Halloween. And then after that, uh, as James mentioned earlier in the episode, we'll be talking about Guy Fawkes for November 5th, that uh, episode going out of that week. So yeah, you've got lots to look forward to. Um, just a pre-warning, your next episode, the next part on Albert Fish, is dark, is heavy. Gold star for anyone who gets through it, basically. Uh, it's going to be graphic. It's going to be horrible. So, you know, give it a go. If it's not for you, yeah. Uh, Can't wait. So yeah, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, join us on the next episode. Make sure you follow us on all the socials. Support the show if you can. And um, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Bye.